Beyond the Shadows podcast. In the darkest corners of our universe lie spaces where even the light won't go. Places where terror and the unknown lurk, always waiting. Join Ryan and Scott on the Beyond the Shadows podcast as we pull back the curtain and peer into the darkness. We'll examine hauntings, true crimes, mysteries, UFOs, exorcisms, reincarnations, mysteries, and all things dark. Join us as we go Beyond the Shadows. I have a bit of an odd confession to make. By now you guys know all too well that I spend a great deal of time researching the paranormal. And as intriguing and fulfilling as that work may be, well, it goes without saying that it still weighs heavy on me. Which is exactly why I spend most of my free time away from work and writing, listening to podcasts about true crime and cold cases. I know, that seems counterproductive. I mean, listening to grim stories of untimely death could hardly be a distraction from, well, other grim stories of untimely death. Like I said, it's an odd confession, but hey, it's the truth. And when you think about it, it really isn't odd at all. After all, both genres of true horror content appeal to our sense of humanity and fascinate us in a way that only an unsolved mystery can. It's that very intrigue that brings us to this week's topic, to a story that somehow connects the horrors of the living to the secrets of the dead. And while you may already know the ins and outs of this harrowing tale, I'd still like to invite you down this enigmatic yet disturbing rabbit hole. Because here we will see that crime in the paranormal are often two sides of the same coin. I'm Courtney Hayes, and you're listening to Haunts. Stay tuned. To be honest, it's hard to know exactly where to begin with this particular episode. Because even to this day, the case that many of us know as the girl in the box is one of the most haunting stories that I have ever heard. So I guess the most appropriate place to begin is with an obligatory disclaimer, warning you all that this episode won't be for the faint of heart. But still... For the sake of the victims, it's a story worth being told. Yes, you heard that right. Victims, not victim. Though it was never proven in a court of law, nor was a body ever discovered, based off the testimony of Janice Hooker, it seems that two women were targeted by these horrific crimes. We'll circle back to that later on in the episode, but first, let's turn our attention to apartment number 14. It was January of 2000, when Jodie Foster and her daughter 
moved from the frosty woods of Montana out to sunny California. At the time, money was tight for this mother-daughter duo, but to their pleasure, they did find a reasonably priced apartment in Chico off of Parmac Road. When they first toured the complex, Jody must have felt that the Walnut Grove apartments were modest but nice. There was a pool, well-manicured green spaces, and friendly neighbors. It was the kind of place that really catered to young families, which was good seeing as how Jody's daughter Hannah was little more than three years old. Yes, it all seemed like a good fit. But even still, Jody couldn't shake the feeling that something was off as she toured their would-be home. Apartment number 14. It's probably nothing, she must have thought to herself as she poked her head into the bedroom. This move has been stressful on both of us. The internal monologue continued as she followed the leasing agent back to the front office. Truthfully, Jody didn't think much of it as she signed her name on the application. And by the time she was driving away, the anxiety had all but passed. But little did she know, those would-be intrusive thoughts carried more than a bit of weight along with them. It had been a week since Jody and Hannah toured apartment 14 at Walnut Grove. And in spite of that initial twinge of anxiety, both mom and daughter were set on moving into the apartment. So on January 31st, the pair drove down Parmac Road with their moving boxes in tow. Okay, I'll be honest with you. Immediately upon opening the door, marked with the numerals 14, things inside the apartment felt completely off. Sure, Jody had been anxious during her initial walkthrough of the unit, but that was nothing in comparison to the dark and foreboding atmosphere that was now emanating through the space. To make matters worse, there was also a chemical smell encasing nearly every corner of the apartment. It was as if the carpet had been drenched in a sharp, headache-inducing fragrance. I guess that could be dismissed as the overpowering scent of carpet cleaner. And in all fairness, most rental units do require a professional carpet cleaning prior to any new tenants moving in. But what Jody couldn't simply write off as the joys of renting is the fact that she felt like she was being watched. She felt eyes on her as she unloaded the moving truck. She felt a presence as she unpacked boxes and filled cupboards. Oh, and as the week slipped by, it seemed that Jody wasn't the only one experiencing this unnerving phenomenon. Going off of Jody's testimony, it's clear that those first few days were far from peaceful. And while it likely would have been fine if these occurrences were happening to her alone, Jody couldn't ignore the fact that Hannah had been affected by the odd environment they were living in. On one occasion, for instance, Jody had been searching for a pink pair of shoes that belonged to Hannah. Ordinarily, they were housed in the shoe organizer by the front door, but on this day in particular, they were nowhere to be found. Jody searched high and low for this little pair of sneakers, 
and eventually she tracked them down in Hannah's room, lying neatly on the bed, which was obviously a strange place for them to be hiding. So Jody asked Hannah directly, did you leave these shoes here? And of course the girl said no, likely just as confused as her mother was. Now, as time passed, that confusion only became more and more pronounced, because day after day, Jody and Hannah kept finding that specific pair of shoes sitting in the center of Hannah's bed, instead of on the shoe organizer where they had been left the night before. Not to mention that Hannah had developed what could really only be described as an imaginary friend, but not in a cute childhood rite of passage kind of way, It was more like a Danny Torrance sort of companion, if you know what I mean. She called this newfound playmate by the name My Liz, and at least from what it seems like, Hannah would interact with the so-called imaginary friend on a near-constant occasion. She would talk out loud, having full-blown conversations when no one else was around. And when Jody asked her who she was speaking to, Hannah would simply reply that she was talking to my Liz. On other occasions, Hannah would draw pictures of this imaginary friend, always depicting her with brown hair that curled out at the ends. Now, we could sit here and argue that Hannah's new friend had been a side effect of a sudden and somewhat stressful move, just as Tony had been for little Doc Torrance. Of course, from a skeptic's perspective, that theory makes a whole lot of sense. But from Jody's point of view, my Liz seemed to be something more, especially considering the dreams that Jody herself had been having. I should explain. Not long after the Fosters moved to Walnut Grove, Jody started having a recurring set of disturbing dreams. Night after night, Jody would be haunted by visions of people whom she had never met. On one occasion, she dreamt of a couple in 70s-era clothing who seemed to be searching for something or someone in what Jody described as a predatory manner. Then, a few nights later, she actually dreamt that this same couple had abducted Hannah. Of course, that would have been a distressing nightmare in and of itself. But what was even more disturbing was that, in this dream, Hannah had turned into a woman who looked an awful lot like those drawings of my Liz. As you can imagine, these reoccurring visions had been deeply troubling for Jody, so much so that they would wake her every single night around the exact same time, 3.37 a.m. And what's worse is that these dreams seemed prophetic in nature, It was like she was reliving a memory, only she had no idea whose memory it was or what it meant. Now, coinciding with these dreams, poltergeist-like activity was wreaking havoc throughout the apartment, to the point where it was obvious that the space was haunted by something that refused to be ignored. On one occasion, for instance, Jody and Hannah returned to Walnut Grove after an evening out of the house, and when they opened the door to the apartment, they uncovered a chaotic scene. The phone's receiver had been ripped out of the wall, and by all appearances, it seemed like it had been thrown across the apartment. Then, over in Hannah's room, Jody discovered her daughter's beloved talking Ernie doll, 
with some sort of cord wrapped around it. Not long after this incident, Jodi awoke one evening to the sound of static echoing through the apartment. And when she got up to investigate, she discovered that the TV had been turned on in the living room. Now this was especially troubling for Jodi because their TV was pretty old. And by that I mean, it was a dial set that had to be turned on manually without a remote. In other words, the only logical explanation was that the TV had been turned on intentionally. Only Jody knew it hadn't been her, and it couldn't have been Hannah, since she was still fast asleep in the other room. Almost immediately, as the thought popped into her mind, Jody's attention was turned by the sound of slamming cabinet doors. Because, evidently, at that exact moment, things in the kitchen were going absolutely haywire. Doors were slamming, the stove burners had been turned on to high heat. It was truly something out of one of those paranormal activity movies. But before she could even process what was going on in the kitchen, Jody heard yet another eerie sound coming from elsewhere in the apartment. Now, if you have a phobia of dolls, this next part might be a bit dicey. Because, apparently, that talking Ernie doll I mentioned earlier was repeating the phrase, I feel great, I feel great, I feel great, over and over and over, continuing to speak after Jody removed its batteries. Then, all the lights in the apartment started flickering at a rapid pace. And really, that's all it took to send Jody and Hannah running from apartment 14. After the events of that night, the Fosters found themselves at the door of Walnut Grove's property manager. And following a short visit back to the chaos inside the apartment, they decided it would be best to call the police. Now, to be honest here, when the police arrived, it seemed to Jody that they weren't taking the situation very seriously. And really, who could blame them? I mean, no crime had actually been committed. And from a third-party perspective, this story does seem a bit outlandish. But even still, this wasn't the first time that Apartment 14 had been brought to their attention. You see, as Jody sat outside the complex that night, an older gentleman approached her. He introduced himself by explaining that he had lived at Walnut Grove for over 20 years, and that during this time, he had noticed somewhat of a pattern. Evidently, at least from his point of view, Apartment 14 was more or less a revolving door for tenants. Of course, property management never had any trouble finding renters, but none of them ever seemed to last long inside this particular unit. And given Jody and Hannah's experiences, I think it's obvious why that's the case. Okay, so this is where the true crime element of the story comes back into play. Obviously, this conversation was already validating to Jody as far as her personal experiences went, but there was something in the tone of her neighbor's voice that gave her pause. So Jody asked him why. Aside from the obvious, what was wrong with apartment 14? I can imagine he responded with a bit of hesitation in his voice, because apparently one of the previous tenants had disappeared a few years back. And at the time of this incident, she was still missing. Well, actually, she's still missing to this day. 
As you can imagine, this was a shocking discovery for Jodie Foster, especially considering the dream she had been having about a girl being abducted from that apartment. We'll circle back to that in a moment, but for now, I'd like to acknowledge an equally disturbing situation that occurred back in the 1970s. And that, of course, is the story of Colleen Stan. Now, if you follow true crime, you've probably already heard Colleen's name and her story. You likely already know that she was abducted in 1977 by Cameron and Janice Hooker of Red Bluff, California. And you surely understand the severity of the crimes they committed against her. Truthfully, Colleen's story could be an entire episode in and of itself, and quite the haunting one at that, which is why we'll be covering it over on Studio Sinister in the coming weeks. So if you haven't already, make sure to give us a follow over there. But in the meantime, at least for the sake of context, it's worth mentioning that Colleen's case runs parallel to that of Apartment 14. You see... One of Colleen's abductors, Janice Hooker, made quite the confession to her crimes back in 1984, during which she not only admitted to holding Colleen captive for nearly a decade, she also claimed to have abducted another, a young woman from Chico, California, named Marie Elizabeth Spanicky. Evidently, Spanicky's case had been a hot topic in Chico throughout 1976, and for good reason, too. I mean, Marie was by all accounts a beautiful and talented aspiring actress who had only recently moved to the area with her boyfriend John. Not to mention that the couple was living in a nice area, in an apartment off of Parmac Road, when Marie mysteriously vanished without a trace. Now, Jody never got a name from her neighbor, but suffice it to say, this conversation certainly didn't sit right. In fact, the very idea that her apartment had once been home to a now-missing person haunted Jody during her waking hours. And all the while, her dreams were only becoming more consistent, always depicting a young woman being abducted by two ill-intended strangers. Needless to say, these experiences were downright overwhelming for Jody. So in the spring of that year, just three months into their lease, the Fosters moved out of apartment 14. And just like that, this nightmare of a haunting was finally over. Well, that is until Jody came across a newspaper article covering Marie Spanicky's case. And as she sat there, poring over the events that took place in an apartment she once called home, Jody couldn't help but draw a few eerie connections between her experiences and Marie's disappearance. For starters, Hannah was insistent that the girl photographed in the newspaper article had been who she had seen in their old apartment. As far as she was concerned, this was my Liz, and you couldn't convince her otherwise. Not to mention, Marie Spanicky had disappeared from Chico, California on January 31, 1976. That's 24 years to the day before the Fosters took up residence at apartment 14. I know, like I said, the similarities are eerie, but here's the real kicker. To friends and family, Marie Elizabeth Spanicky was known simply by the nickname Marliz. This episode of Haunts was written and produced by me, Courtney Hayes. If you've been enjoying the show so far, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review. 
A lot of work goes into each episode, and supporting the show in this way really helps us reach more listeners each week. It's entirely free and takes about 30 seconds, and it would genuinely mean the world to me. Also, if you're interested in learning more about today's topic, I greatly encourage you to check out the show notes section on our website at hauntscast.com. This is the location where I share my sources and provide any visual aid that may be referenced during the show. Finally, I would love to connect with you online. You can find me on Instagram at hauntscast, or you can join our email list for updates about the show. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, happy haunting. As the moonlight pierces through the dark, paranormal enthusiast and best friends, Farah and Courtney venture deep into the woods, armed with flashlights and a sense of adventure. Farah, are you sure this is a good idea? Sure, I'm sure. We're paranormal investigators. We're not scared of any ghosts. What was that? Uh, probably some animals. Oh my God. My flashlight is going out. Following the chilling sounds, the two stumble upon an abandoned and haunted building, its dark silhouette looming over them. Look, there it is. The abandoned radio station. It's supposed to be mad haunted. Let's be careful. We don't know what's inside. Wow, look at this place. A long growl is heard coming from behind the girls. They turn around slowly, and to their surprise, a zombie is standing in front of them dressed to the nines, wearing a 70s bell-bottom hot pink and purple leisure suit. Who are you pasty-looking females, and what the heck are you doing in here? Who are you calling pasty? Nice suit. Did you raid Barry Manilow's wardrobe, or did John Travolta have a yard sale? Uh, sorry about that. We didn't mean any harm. We're just curious about this place. Curious, huh? Well, come with me. I got something to show you. And as they wander deeper into the building, they uncover vintage studio equipment covered in dust and decay. Farah, you were looking for a new place to set up your podcast, right? And this is it. Whoa, whoa there, sweet cheeks. No, 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 don't worry. We'll make it worth your while. We love the strange and unexplained phenomena, true crime, macabre, and the sinister. And hey, you'd be a great touch to the show. Maybe be an announcer for us as well. Mm, that does sound stellar. I'm in. A few minutes later, 12 seconds later, three weeks later, many months later. Okay, we're rolling. Welcome to Studio Sinister Podcast, where we explore stories that haunt us all. And then we'll go make a fresh kill to celebrate. Dawn. Uh, just kidding. Join Farah, Courtney, and Don the Zombie on the 1st, 10th, and 20th of every month for some rad, chilling stories. And if you piss your pants, that's your problem. Come embrace the haunt. See you soon, Sinister Seekers.